everyone. Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian Gottlieb. And we have a very, 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 I can't stress that enough, special guest. One of the founding members of the podcast, Michael Majors, is back with us. And I think I will leave it up to him, maybe, to describe why that is the case. Dude, what's up, y'all? It's uh, It's been a minute. That was not the intro that I'm used to. Where you been, Majors? Where you been? Uh, well, I worked at Wizards of the Coast for like almost three years, so that's why you haven't heard from me in a while, but I'm back. I moved back from Seattle, Washington, back to Georgia. I guess just to go ahead and throw it out there immediately, I left Wizards intentionally. There was no drama or ill blood or anything like that. This is just uh, something that I felt like I needed to do was come back home uh, to be close to my family and stuff, so... That was an intentional choice for me. Uh, I'm happy to be back and hopefully do some more magic content stuff. Well, you, you picked a good time to move back, I think, because yeah. now you're you're just kind of like locked in like the rest of us. Yeah, it was uh, obviously the this is we're recording April 1st, but right before I moved back, which was about two weeks ago now, is when things started getting shut down because of the coronavirus. So I'm, I'm glad that I uh, got back when I did. Kind of a now or never situation. You either went for it then or you're going to stick in Seattle for a little while. Yeah, I'm guessing that uh, moving companies are probably not <laughs> the most active things right now. Mm-mm. Don't think so. I, I literally have my pod still sitting in my front lawn because they're just basically not doing anything. And then there's uh, another person like down the street from me who also has a pod just sitting there. And it's it's been like that for basically a month. Really? That's that's like kind of like weirdly creepy. Yeah. I mean, it, it just means that like, if, if I wanted to have like an extra storage space, I could have it, I guess, but I also don't know when or if ever they're ever going to pick it up. So that's what I was going to say. It's <laughs> like you picked up an extra room in your house. Like that's yeah, a right, right. get. It, it could just disappear at any moment. I have no idea. Well, surely they'll contact you and be like, all right, well, we're ready to get that. I don't know, man. I'm not going to risk it. Anywho. Anyway, <laughs> so you're, you're back home. You're living with some friends. You're playing magic again. What what was the the catalyst for this? I mean, you were at Wizards, as far as I know. You enjoyed it and everything, and you were doing good work. But like, I, I mean, I I know why I left ways back, you know, uh, so I can relate to some degree. But like for a lot of people, I think they would just be like, "Yo, this this is my dream job. Why would you ever leave?" You know. So what what was going on there? Like you said, it wasn't anything negative, right? But I'm sure people are curious. Yeah, to be clear, like my experience there was wonderful. I honestly do intend on going back at some point. Uh, but basically, long story short, my parents are getting old and I have three nephews and a niece that I haven't really been a part of their lives at all. So kind of need to remedy that. And do you actually get to see them a decent amount, right? Like you're in actual Atlanta and they're in Augusta? Yeah, I'm two hours away right now. And obviously, given the you know, world climate and stuff, I'm not really traveling, but uh yeah, hopefully as soon as possible. I don't even own a car yet. I can't buy a car, but hopefully sooner than later we'll be able to we'll fix that. Oh no, what what happened to your car? Uh, well, Dan Musser owns my car, and uh, now I just have to wait until car dealerships open up. Okay. I mean, yeah, I guess I could buy from an individual, but I actually want to buy from someone specific. So yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That's such a wild thing that you just wouldn't account for. Like, oh, I can't <laughs> right. get a car right now. What do I do? 
Well, even yeah. if you wanted to go out and do stuff, too bad. You you, ha- right. you must social distance. <laughs> right. I mean, obviously, this is just a hopefully knock on wood once in a lifetime thing. And it's, it's, it's a weirdo. Well, assuming that things get back to normal, hopefully sooner rather than later, what, what are your plans? I mean, Brian and I announced uh, around January 1st that we were going to start doing two podcasts a week and you were definitely going to be a big part of that. But, you know, given the way things are, we had to change things up a little bit. Uh, but like, what what are your plans now in the short term? Like, what what does work look like for you? Yeah, in the short term, I mean, I'd love to get back to writing, uh, just doing kind of the content that people who remember me probably expect from me, you know, doing stuff like this podcast, probably some written content through some website, we'll figure it out. But yeah, I guess uh, under the now Arena Deckless umbrella, I'm planning on doing some Twitch content. There was like a very brief period a couple years ago, right before I left to go work at Wizards, where I was streaming you know, semi-regularly, probably like three days a week or so. So I'll probably be picking that up again, as we all do. I have nothing but time right now. Yeah. And, you know, we hung out a little bit, built some Grixis Shadow, you know, just casually oh, yeah, yeah. break formats. Dude, that was uh, so, a good time. Yeah, I think that was... Yeah, that was kind of like the last thing that you did before you went in, right? And I, I guess that's that's just like one of those things that happens in Magic, right? Where it's like your name is not necessarily attributed to that deck, but like it, it was you. Yeah, down to the, the one rise fall that was a, a, a mainstay for a good couple months. Way too long, way too long. Yeah, it was really <laughs> bad. And obviously people figured out things, but... That's one of those you don't necessarily want to claim immediately. Dude, I, I fucking love Riseful. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, I got a modern deck ready to go for people too. Okay. Uh, are you going to start streaming that or what's the deal? Yeah, probably. I guess I need to figure out a way to get some Magic Online cards because I don't have those anymore. But shouldn't be too bad of a problem. MH1 drafts came out today, so I'm pretty interested in playing that. But yeah, I'll probably also do some like standard on Arena, but... I think probably people want to mix it up given that there's not a lot of tournaments right now. Yeah. So you're, you're likely going to be focused on magic online type of stuff, like modern for sure. I know that you're generally very interested in like, what about pioneer? Yeah, probably some, I not going to lie. Pioneer seems less fun to me than modern right now. So yeah, I agree. And just like my, my thing for, I guess for people who don't know is I really like building decks and, you know, larger card pools afford more options for building decks inherently. So that appeals to me a lot. Word. Well, we've we've established why you left. What what do you think you learned while you're in Wizards? Like, even if it's just like not necessarily everything, because I'm sure it's a lot, but just like quick hit stuff, or you know, the most important like one or two takeaways as far as you know, magic or game design. God, I guess I should have prepared for this. This is actually a really brutal question you're giving me. Yeah, dude, I'm trying to grill you, man. I didn't even give you the questions beforehand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. In the Discord channel before this, Brian said he was going to make me cry. So I guess this this is it. Nailed it. Um, I learned a lot. It is it is really hard to consolidate everything into like one nugget of wisdom that I can give the audience. But I think at the end of the day, if your goal is to become better at magic or anything you kind of have to transition into different mindsets especially between like the difference between i am playing games at a tournament so obviously i care about my win rate 
versus I'm on some path to discover or learn something. And I think that's probably the biggest difference for me as far as like, there's just kind of two sides of the coin or, you know, two different mindsets and how to transition in between those two to, you know, maximize your efficiency in whatever you're doing. So it's, it's basically like, no matter what you're doing, you have a goal in mind. And obviously when you're, you know, playing in tournaments, you can also be trying to learn things, right? But like, that's, that's not the, the necessary end goal, right? Like you're not going to take a weird line just to see if you learn something in a tournament like you might right. do if you were like playing online, right? Right, just for But no matter what, you, ha- you have a goal in mind. Yeah. Yeah, and, and like, you know, I think it's, <laughs> we've always had these conversations like mid-tournament where it's like, dude, we totally like messed up building our sideboard or whatever. I have a 12-card sideboard. And so like, obviously you learn things like organically as you get more experience, but there's definitely a difference in mindset between like, I am trying to learn as possible about my mo- excuse me, learn as possible, much as possible about my deck versus I'm just trying to kill people. And what about the, the Watsi aspect of things? Like, is, is that something that, I I mean, I guess that is kind of related to game design, right? Where it's like, you're talking about doing FFL stuff and playing a deck versus a deck and hoping to learn something versus like not really being concerned about win rates. But like, is there anything else uh, specific on the game design front? I think the biggest thing for me was like, I, I don't know when it like finally clicked, but let's like say the six month marker. So give or take, it's like, I finally figured out that like, I need to be humble enough to realize that I will never figure out what the best deck in our environment is. And like, not only is it impossible to do that because things are shifting rapidly, but it's like, I am one person. I do not have the hive mind to piggyback off of. I just need to do the best I can with what I have available, which is essentially to create the most fun sandbox possible for people. Yeah. And that's basically what I realized at the end of my stint there. Like I was also only there for six months, but yeah, it's just impossible. Like the, the cards change, the the decks change, you learn a bunch of stuff every single day and trying to figure out what is the best thing is definitely beneficial in real life, but not so much during the course of the job, right? Like, I I think you do just want to, instead of like figure out the best three things or whatever, you're just like, nah, give people like 20 fun things to do. And then hopefully it just all sorts itself out. Essentially what I, you know, figured out over a good portion of time there is like, I can never figure out what is actually going to be the best, but And I think this is probably the most applicable thing to real life tournament magic or deck building or preparation or what have you is that looking at the format as a series of packages that work through either they're like, you know, best in slot, like say, for example, question beast is the strongest rate for drop or like these three cards are the most powerful synergy package, like being able to create subsections of the format that are essentially these packages allows us to do our job a lot better by being able to like communicate clearly what we think is strongest and also to prepare sets in the future with the knowledge that these types of packages might appear as the strong things. So we have to create countermeasures or design around them. Well, let's, let's talk elephant in the room then, you know, things like Nissa, grow spiral, Uro, hydrate crisis, mm-hmm. like is like, that's, that's obviously a package that goes into a lot of different decks and right. Is is that a, a good thing for the format where, yeah, like the the details change, but like the the overall stuff 
that you're playing against remains the same. I guess I need you to define what you say good for the format, like from the perspective of, I know that these are kind of like the backbones of different strategies. And so I have a a target or. I, I left that kind of up in the air because it is very nebulous, right? It's like, you know, what, what is best for a format? What makes it most fun? What is best for the person playing it? Like you could argue that a lot of different ways. So I guess, however you would want to describe that. I mean, I think from, and of course, just to be clear, like <laughs> I no longer work at Wizards, so this is this is my perspective only, uh, my opinion. But yeah, I, I always valued personally just the ability for a format to churn is very important. You know, I know that's a concept that we talked about years ago. It's still something y'all talk about, but just like essentially that from week to week, there is opportunity for people to employ countermeasures against what they perceive to be the strongest strategies. So in that respect, I think it's good that there are some pretty clear targets, both for, you know, these are kind of the strong things you can be doing and to streamline deck building to some extent. That being said, like, if, for example, those cards are just the strongest thing you can do in a macro archetype, say mid-range or ramp, that it pushes out all the other cards that are available. I think that's, you know, not an ideal situation. Right. So, you know, you talk about countermeasures and... That's one of the packages that basically doesn't have anything, at least that is actually effective against it. So if, if standard ultimately boils down to like, okay, this, this is like the best three or four card package that you can be playing. I think that is good in that it, you know, like you said, just gives people a target. And then there are some other things that are very good, but maybe not as good as the best thing. And the best thing kind of remains. Like, I do think that that is mostly healthy, but in this case, it can be kind of frustrating because there isn't a good amount of counterplay to that sort of stuff. Yep. I can only totally understand that. I think just in a general sense too, like this is something that I I talked about with other play designers and kind of joked about. And I, I, I believe it is true. I think people would actually be more unhappy if they actually just got a format where everything was 50-50 matchups and they could never feel like they were actually progressing. (laughs) Like, you know, of course, in like a matchup matrix, like a perfectly healthy format is like there are good and bad matchups. It's rock, paper, scissors. There are countermeasures available in sideboarding or deck building or whatever. But like, I, I genuinely do think that people like, would rather live in a world where there are like 55% decks versus 50% decks. Yeah. I mean, you, you need your decisions to matter, right? Like you need that sense of agency and it's like, Oh, well, if I change these five cards in my deck, I'm sacrificing some amount of percentage against deck Y, but gaining against deck Z. And that matters because I know that deck Y is on the downtrend or whatever. And It's it's those sorts of things that both lead to churn and lead to, you know, people having their like deck building decisions actually matter and come to fruition and they play against deck Z, you know, 30 to 60 percent of the time in a tournament or whatever and just feel great about it. It also mitigates play skill some, which like is is another like probably unpopular opinion, but like magic is a great game because sometimes you being better than your opponent doesn't matter. Yeah, so with with the package conversation in mind and, I don't know, again, elephant in the room sort of thing, like how do you think 
y'all have done over the last couple of years, you know, like y'all did goose Oko type of stuff, a lot of standard bannings. Like obviously there was a dis like fairly distinct change in either like goals or the way that y'all operated and everything. And obviously you're going to hit some, you're going to miss some, but I mean, overall, how do you feel about how things went down and how wizards is just going to adapt in the future? So to answer the last part of your question, I think that we are extremely self-aware as a group in terms of adapting to, you know, getting more data, taking experiments and rechecking our work and things along those lines. So, I mean, I have, I have a lot of faith in my coworkers going forward. It's kind of hard to answer like anything except for I'm a little disappointed with how Eldrain panned out, right? Like clearly there, there are some, some cards in particular, especially Oko that I think were pretty big failings on our part. But I think overall in terms of the fact that that was the reality and then how standard has shaped up with some bands and the addition of Theros, I, th I think I'm pretty happy with the result, honestly. Theros in particular, I think, checked a lot of the boxes that we needed, especially giving power back to white. Yeah, no, for sure. So it, it is interesting to me that, you know, like standard is pretty much in a good place, uh, at least on paper, where you look at the churn that the format has had, how many different viable archetypes there have been and, and even are now really, and how nothing has really stayed at the top of like, oh, this is this is like the best deck and nothing can beat it, which was like kind of how things went down in Eldraine when there were just like all these Simic decks, right? So given that, I think that Standard has been like relatively successful and there has been like some recent talk about how the best decks in Standard basically cheat on mana. Like is, is that a bug or a feature? I think it is a feature as long as it is not true that that is what defines the format. And I know one could argue that it is a defining part of the format now between Fires of Invention, Wilderness Reclamation, you know, just generic grant being super strong. I think basically the easy answer, as with most things, is that moderation is, is key. Maybe we are a little too heavy on those elements being some of the strongest things in the format. Was it, I feel free to not answer this, but like, was it intentional for those sorts of things? Like fires seems pretty pushed, but yeah, like wilderness reclamation, maybe a mistake, but like the, the Simic ramp stuff, you know, like did, did y'all realize that it was going to be just a bunch of decks that cheat on mana or it was just like kind of on a case by case basis where like, you know, you, you made one of these cards, you're like this in a vacuum independently is pretty fun. But at the end of the day, like people are going to try and find like the most busted things to do in standard and like traditionally just like cheating on mana is the most busted thing to be doing. I mean, so, so the nature of card design is that it's all probabilistic, right? There are certain outcomes where fires invention is not a playable card. There are some outcomes where it's one of the strongest cards in the format. You try to essentially design powerful appealing cards that, that, you know, people want to put in their decks. They want to own, they want to build around. So yeah, we're, we're in a situation where a lot of bets were placed on those types of effects and, you know, a lot of them did pan out. Uh, so I wouldn't say it's necessarily intentional that those cards are hitting, but it, it is sweet if we live in a world where Standard has those types of cards that appeal to those types of players. I want to interject for a second here just because I feel some degree of ownership to this theory that like everything being ramp is net negative for a format. 
I thought about this a lot because I didn't want to overstate the problem. And I actually went back and looked at a lot of historical formats and tried to see if like, this is just part of magic. Like, has there always been this much focus on figuring out how you're cheating mana? And if you look through like the last 10 years of standard, there's no question that this is a very, very hard push in that direction, like a dramatically hard push in that direction. And what really stands out is not only like the focus on general mana acceleration, and we can even talk about the return to one mana accelerants. Obviously, Lana War Elves not now gone, but that was a big part of the format. Gilded Goose showed up. So that was something that you all backed away from for a while and then came back. But more than that, it's the doubling and tripling effects that you see all over the place. Like there's Nyssa, which is essentially a double. There's Wilderness Reclamation. Fires of Invention can like triple your mana in some scenarios. And it's just dramatic explosions of mana. And to go along with that, there's also a feeling on my part that all everything is about establishing your engine. And then once that happens, your deck blows up. So Fires has Fires in play. You are drawing however many cards per turn, you're, all your creatures have haste all of a sudden. Wilderness Reclamation goes off, you're drawing infinite cards. And it feels like basically every deck for a while has been this combination of engines. Does that criticism hold any weight with you? Or do you think, again, it's just like those, in, those engines existing is a good thing, but maybe things got pushed a little bit too far. To address the latter half of your question, I think that nearly every successful standard deck throughout time has had some kind of engine. I mean, obviously you can you can say like linear aggro decks that are just about curving out and playing burn spells or whatever don't really have an engine, but like I guess <laughs> I guess you this is also getting into the semantics of like how you define an engine, but like, you know, most decks have sure. mana sinks or planeswalkers or some central card that they're built around that does turbocharge their strategy. Maybe not in such a dramatic way as as like you said this standard format has in terms of mana production. But to answer the other half of your question, I think that, you know, we were willing to take, you know, some more risks, like obviously low powered standard formats where there have been bands, like, you know, for example, like the energy cards, like have no shot whatsoever of seeing play in like modern, but were you know, too strong for standard. And that's a result of powering down standard. So, you know, that was one of the goals of, of having a dedicated play design team was to give Wizards some more agency to take risks and also just to make more exciting cards. It turns out that when you're placing some of those bets and, you know, cards that generate mana, then they're going to have, a, you know, more of a impact on the format than maybe is desirable. But again, like I said, not speaking for anyone, just speaking to my own experiences, but, you know, I think that this is an experiment and that there will probably be adjustment if people at Wizards thinks that this is not the correct way for standard to be. How do you feel about that, Brian? Is that a sufficient answer? I do think it's a sufficient answer. And I have often said that, like, I would rather magic design make some mistakes than play it completely safe. I think that is 100% the right way to go. I am pretty frank with, I just don't care for the standard that much. And I think that's fine. I, not every standard has to hit with me. We all have our own preferences. For me, it's mostly an issue of scale, but I understand that there are some things worth trying out here. Uh, I, I don't think they've panned out for the most part, but I'm not going to begrudge anyone for trying to expand the boundaries of magic. And I, I guess that'll go really nicely into my next question. 
do you think magic players are unfair to magic designers? And this is kind of a loaded question. I know, I know this is tough to answer and that's why I'm asking it. I said I was going to make you cry. Yeah, yeah. You're, well, I'm, the, the tears are coming. Um, <laughs> I will answer your question in a roundabout way, which is I decided that okay. not engaging with social media as much as I had previously was good for my mental health at some points while working on magic design. I would argue that people in general are just extremely critical of everything, especially things that they're passionate about. So I don't think that it's a unique situation to magic design. That being said, I think that people are bad at recognizing that things that they choose to engage with are often products that are built to appeal to people different from them, in addition to them you know, in the ecosystem. That lack of self-awareness, I think, is, you know, really apparent sometimes. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. It's it's really difficult for a lot of people to separate themselves from it, right? Like, if, if a thing comes out that I feel is supposed to be targeted at me because I'm, you know, like a, a loyal customer that I feel like Watsy should appreciate or whatever, and like this thing you know, like this, this standard set, right. That is going to be played for my PTQs or whatever is not like something exactly that I want. It's really difficult to be like, oh, okay, yeah, it's, it's not for me, but it's like meant to appeal to these other people. So like, I kind of get that, but also I think that people should just be better about that sort of thing. And obviously there is a distinct difference between actual helpful feedback and I don't know, just like calling for someone to be fired or whatever. Like it's, it's just absurd. I have such a good example of this too, that I want to share. Just last week I did the CEDH cast and I went and talked about competitive EDH despite never having played a game of competitive EDH in my life. They still wanted to have me on. I do think I had something to add, but it was a unique perspective and not one grounded in competitive EDH. But one of the things that the host pointed out to me was the fact that 2019 was an incredible year for EDH players. They felt like they yeah. got so many awesome cards. And like it as far as most metrics go, it does seem like EDH is the most popular way to play Magic. So doesn't it make sense to make sure they're getting a lot of awesome cards and buying all the cards? And granted, like I still think there's a fair complaint to be made that you can try and achieve that while still focusing on a healthier standard environment than we had in 2019. But here's a group of players who are just over the moon about what they got in 2019. And I think we lose sight of that as just very focused tournament players. Definitely a great point. And uh, to your, to your point previously, like the whole concept of a healthy standard environment is kind of so nebulous in itself. It's like, what does that mean exactly? Like it's certainly easier to create a quote unquote, healthier environment if you know you decide certain hard and fast rules like i don't know for example let's say like baneslayer angel is going to be one of the strongest cards in the format but like uh, eventually if you keep replicating that year after year then people are going to get bored right yeah i think so i and i i don't necessarily want there to be like hard and fast rules Uh, i mostly agree with you on just creating a sweet sandbox uh i do think that you know there are some things like Oko is probably a little too strong and maybe there's too many ways to cheat on mana and that sort of pushes out any deck that otherwise looks good on paper but is ultimately operating at a more fair level 
And those things are things that I would like to see adjusted. And I agree with you completely that like, I, I do have faith in the people at Wizards. I mean, maybe a little bit less now that you're gone, to be honest. <laughs> oh, it's but, very kind of you. Yeah, but you know, like you, you need these data points in order to be able to take action. And in the meantime, like they're experimenting with things and you can't really say that magic in the last couple of years has been boring, you know? <laughs> yep, that's for sure. So do you think that they're going to be okay without you? Like, I, I think they are. And I think that you're going to say that they are, but like, clearly you bring like a unique skill set to the table. So like, how are they going to adapt with you being gone? Oh my God. Loaded question after loaded question. This is tough. I genuinely have faith that they will be fine without me and that, you know, I, I hope that I had some kind of, you know, lasting legacy there in terms of perspective and, you know, especially thinking about deck building and how to approach different types of problems. You know, uh, my, my hope is that I did make some kind of lasting impression, but yeah, it's, it's just like, like you said, more data points are going to come in adjustments are going to be made. I think over my time there, undoubtedly play design got so much stronger at figuring out how to proactively set themselves up to be able to adjust real world data rapidly uh, again, I can't obviously get into all the details, but essentially we're working some time into the future. And so we have sets that are in flight while we're getting data from the real world, uh, you know, at specific points that standard is existing, overlapping between FFL and the real world and giving yourself opportunities to have slots and files to be able to make changes rapidly is both extremely difficult and something that I think that is, is probably the most impactful thing that we made real progress on in the last year or two. Nice. So how, how far out uh, is the major's touch on everything? And be careful here because I don't actually know like what set names have actually been officially released or like what code names. Are. I also <laughs> I just never don't want know. You to I, I always assume that uh, people know much less than they actually do, <laughs> which I think okay. is probably like a good policy. Yeah, yeah. So let's see, we are about to have Ikoria, and then there will be, let's see, five sets that I've touched afterwards. That's a, that's a lot, dude. Yeah. So we have, we have a lot to look forward to, and then hopefully in that year, they can, I don't know, maybe Andrew still has you on speed dial or whatever, you can give him <laughs> some, some tips. Well, uh, you know, not getting paid, so we'll, we'll see about that, but maybe we can figure <laughs> something out. Workers' rights, I like it. Make sure you get your value. <laughs> yeah, wasn't there some uh, great debate about getting paid in uh, publicity? Oh, not, not, no, <laughs> cut this. I, I Seriously, cut this. Not even putting this on the podcast. <laughs> Le- leave no it chance. in. Leave it in. Though I would say that they could pay you in exposure majors, but you're just not even on social media anyway, so it doesn't do you any good. Yeah, probably not. Uh, I'm probably going to have to jump back on that. I, I definitely need to change my uh, my bio and Twitter. Good thing for me to remember to do. Yeah, also I'll jump in now so we don't forget. Uh, you, had, you hinted at it. You are going to be streaming under the Arena Decklist banner, so twitch.tv slash Arena Decklist, and that's where your streams are going to be happening. I want to make sure we don't miss that. Solid plug. When we're doing this plug. Yeah, for, for all you folks with Amazon Prime, go go give them that sub. Yeah, dude. It'll be breaking modern for you. Love it. Like, 
how much how much magic have you actually been playing? I guess like you know certainly since you left, but also maybe uh, the last three months or so, two months when you kind of knew that you were coming back. What has that been like for you? So I was working at Wizards up until gosh, I think March fourteenth or March fifteenth or so, so, something like that. Anyway, it's a couple weeks, and <laughs> and certainly one of the, the hardest skills that I had to learn working at wizards was doing my best to turn off my brain from magic when I got off work, uh, which I was at different times while working there, less successful at or more successful at. But to answer your question directly, uh, I've been playing a good bit of like eternal formats since I kind of knew that I was leaving just for, you know, for fun and to refamiliarize myself with what's going on. But as far as like the last couple of weeks, I've mostly been vintage keeping and I'm probably going to be playing a lot of MH1. Tight. What is the MH1 go-to for you? What have you been having the most fun with? I've only drafted twice. I drafted a green-red deck, splashing white, some like, you know, the lands and graveyard stuff, 3 would with that. And then I drafted a black-green deck, which I went 2 and one with, but I'll probably be playing a lot over the next week. A lot of green stuff. What are you doing? What happened? Wizards changed you, man. Dude, trumpeting herd is good. So is Springbloom. Uh, I'm really bad with names. The Harrow creature. Yeah. I, I, Druid, I think. Yeah. I don't know. There, there's some sweet ones. Green green commons kind of glue everything together. Although I do think red black is actually the best deck in MH1 drift. Like sacrifice or goblins? Uh, just kind of like whatever you get. Like pair together good removal with whatever synergies you can piece together plus recursive stuff and then any teasers for modern as far as you know what you've been working on what you broke it with dude i got this this nice little blue green dryad of the elysian grove scape shift deck ran that through some some iterations it's a it's real nice pretty disappointed i didn't get to play it in a tournament i mean that can still happen right yeah of like, course i guess this is a, a good time to like actually ask you because maybe you don't even know but like what is your status currently like can you play in modern ptqs on magic online the answer is i think so <laughs> i can't i can't think of a reason i wouldn't <laughs> be able to probably something i should like for sure get a real answer as far as i know i have complete freedom to play whatever and then certainly once like premier tournaments come back i'll have to shoot someone a message and see what's up with that but you know obviously not too worried about it yeah uh, it might be a while before that happens but i mean if there's uh, you know, like the players tours are going online, then I don't know. I think that would be a cool thing for you to be able to do, even if you're like streaming on delay or whatever. Right. Yeah. That would be a lot of fun. Is is that going to be my job to pressure you to look into what tournaments you can play in? Uh, yeah, I think that that's, that's fine for you to take responsibility over that role. But the caveat right, is that fine. you also have to play in them. Ooh. I yeah. mean, that's, that's not I that bad serious, because I actually... Uh, well, I, I have been enjoying modern. I've been like actively playing it in my free time versus, you know, just like dreading it. I, I would be down to play some modern PTQs. Pioneer, I'm less enthused with and standard I'm fine with, but I haven't really liked the, the random arena offerings because they don't really appeal to like what I want to be doing sure. as far as like, you know, do I want to play in this mythic point challenge and get five mythic points or whatever it, it like really doesn't mean anything to me so yeah i do agree that pioneer is my least favorite of the premier formats 
Oh, do you like pioneers tier like 1.5 and tier two are so fun though. I just, I want like grapple with the past to be playable. <laughs> and I know you do too. Yeah. Yeah. You're speaking my language. Yeah. I think there's a lot of fun stuff you can do, but in my experience, most of my matches were against breach and inverter and, and that's, that's only appealing for so long. Yeah. It's, it's changed a little bit since then. I mean, inverter is still good. Breach has mostly fallen off and, from what I can tell, Inverter is not composing as much as the, of the winner's metagame as it used to. So either less people are playing it or, you know, there's a, a bunch of different aggro decks that have kind of popped up again. So, like, it's possible that, like, a lot of people are still playing Inverter but just losing to those decks. So it kind of opens the door up uh, for you to do things like build a sweet team or a merge deck. So I've been kind of doing that but haven't actually played it. Okay. You know, you can, you can always hit me up. I'm a, you know... I know a thing or two about those things. Yeah, I don't know. Last time I tried to talk to you about it and you you were like, you you absolutely like can't play Jace. And then like two weeks later, you were like, all right, you have to play Jace. And it was it was just a mess, man. Are we talking about like three years ago in the past or like six months ago? Like six months ago. Okay. Well, I don't remember those conversations, but you know. How convenient. Well, we're going to have them on record from now on. So <laughs> I guess so. Well, do you think that you are better or worse at magic than when you went in? Like, do you think that Watsi has leveled up any particular part of your game? I would imagine that like actual gameplay, you're probably a little rusty at because I certainly was even after six months. Yeah, I suspect that, like you said, I'll probably have to shake off the rust. I don't know how long that'll take. Hopefully not particularly long, but we'll see. But I mean, just in terms of like different ways to approach the game, especially at limited, I think I'm just a much more, you know, well-rounded player. Any Anything specific? Or is this stuff that we should make content on in the future? Like, I, I guess I could, this This is your assignment. If, if you can think of any of these things in the future, we should do at least like half an episode on it. Yeah, that sounds dope for sure. I mean, obviously there's always, you know, practical ways to, apply the, the the knowledge but as far as just like you know q a format I, I don't know how productive it is to go like deep on one thing in particular but like you know once, once for example once you've literally built limited sets like you have you have a much better understanding of like what's going on and like where the power is concentrated and things along those lines yeah yeah i mean that's it is it is kind of like cheating at that point like i've i've certainly felt Ooh, don't, the don't same way that where it's that's like, not a good word what? It, it, well, not not cheating in the sense that like I'm palming seven perfect cards or whatever, but it's like a, a cheat code. You know, it's like I have the cipher and no one else does. Right. It's it's like the these are things that be, can be deconstructed into building blocks, and once you understand what you're looking for, you just are able to gain knowledge so much faster than someone who doesn't have those heuristics. Right. Yeah. Uh, a, a good example in. Uh, one one that I've thought about a lot is when like the the preview season is fully ended and the full set list is out is just like identifying which uncommon is supposed to be like the A plus uncommon right. and then that can help you inform like what those colors are meant to be doing and you know sometimes some of that stuff is like not necessarily wrong but like it just ends up like missing the mark a little bit but certainly having this kind of like backdoor into 
what the devs were thinking when they actually made the set does help you inform a lot of decisions. Definitely. And, you know, essentially, like, every limited format is obviously intended to be color balanced, but in reality, there tends to be a strongest color and a weakest color. And just learning, like, what the intended removal spells are, how strong they are, uh, you know, what kind of breakpoints that that makes in the format. Like, for example, in a core set, like, how strong is a shock? Like, it does actually change based on the context of the set. Right. Like, shock in Onslaught is A+. Plus. Shock in, I don't know, maybe a, a format with a lot of three toughness is not. You know, right. like, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Shock is usually pretty good, but... Yep, super simple example, but but things like that. Yep, no, absolutely. So context matters. The last question I have is, do you have any tips for aspiring WotC employees or game designers in general? Like you went in with basically no game design experience and you're leaving, I think, as one of the most valuable members on the team. And obviously you have some inherent knack for this sort of thing, but like, how, how do you think that people could be approaching it better? Or like, what do you think are some common fallacies or whatever? I think the most valuable thing that I did early on in my days at Wizards was assume very little and ask lots of questions and try to learn like, you know, inherently in the workplace, like there's going to be some tribal knowledge where, you know, people are making assumptions or just going off of what they've experienced in the past because, you know, everyone has a job to do and they have to get things done as efficiently as possible. So I think one of my greatest strengths early on was just asking for, you know, what is the historical precedent of certain types of things and what does the group think about these things and just getting more experienced team members to just, you know, basically teach me (laughs) whether it was, you know, laid out that simply or not. Well, what about before you have your foot in the door? I mean, networking is just the most valuable thing, right? Like, obviously, I've been super fortunate, blessed, and worked hard to get my foot in the door. But like, even you kind of just like took a chance on me like many moons ago and was like, hey, Cedric, let him let him write an article or whatever. And like, it was just constant leveraging and, and networking and, you know, working hard. That's that's really all I can advice I can give to people. Yeah, I mean your situation with me, I think is a little different where I want to be surrounded by smart people. And I also had done a bunch of networking myself and had a lot of mutual friends who vouched for you and sung your praises and stuff. So it's like, not even like, Oh, you're good at magic or whatever, but like that you're a good person. So, you know, naturally I want to meet you and see what all the fuss is about and everything. And then it wasn't like, you networked to me, got a connection and then was able to like have an in through me. Like if I didn't say anything, you would have just not written. Right. So I don't know. It it was also just a matter of me, like kind of forcing that on you to some degree. Yeah. So to some extent, I don't know. I I don't, I don't think that that's normally how things are going to go down for a lot of people, but obviously the more people, you know, the more, connections that you have if you figure out that like you want to start making content or you want to be a game designer or whatever like you're going to have a lot of people who are going to be in your corner if you want to ask them those questions or be like hey can you put in a good word for me or whatever totally 
I mean, as far as game design specifically, I kind of alluded to it previously, but like, I think the most important thing is, is realizing that you kind of have to get outside your own head and your own body and think about like, what about this is appealing to everyone and not just my personal biases. And how did you do that? Like, how, how do you realize what is appealing to someone who is not you? It's tough. And I, and I mean, obviously, you don't always get it right. And that's the reason why you work in teams, right? So you get different types of perspectives. But I just think that as far as like trying to find like objective truth about what is objective fun, like obviously, that's just kind of an impossible task or whatever. But, you know, just like, I think, is this something that I would feel bad about experiencing? okay, how, how positive of an experience is it for the person that is on the opposite side of this, you know, kind of weighing like, what is, what is the greater good in that exchange? And then, and then beyond that, thinking about like how, how appealing is this experience if it's repeated, you know, a hundred times, a thousand times, 10,000 times. Okay. So use that model and talk about uh, dream trawler at rare. <laughs> Y'all are savage. <laughs> you opened uh, the door, man. That wasn't even on my list of questions. Been saving these up, saving them up for months, Major. So, so okay, there is, there's a few things at play here. First of all, there have to exist strong rares because of you know needs for constructed needs for you know appeal of opening booster packs, things along those lines. Two, as far as de- determining what should be rare or mythic in terms of limited. I mean, it was basically that or Kira best the sea god. So you're, you're kind of stuck as far as like super, super strong limited bombs. Third, I, th- I think a lot of people don't realize that the average person is not going to draft a set, you know, 500 times like a content creator would, for example. So fortunately, they, they are saved some of the, the heartache of having to play against super, super strong rares like Dream Trawler over and over again. I want to challenge you on that majors because I I think that is a really good assumption and a really safe assumption prior to the existence of arena. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of your design philosophy is contemplative of arena at this point, as it very well should be. And the way you draft on arena is very different than typical pod play, especially because decks go through a lot of filtration. And as you play to a seven to no record, the odds that you are going to have to beat a dream trawler as the end boss go up and up and up. <laughs> and I, I do think people like grind arena drafts pretty hard. And granted, you know, that's still a small portion of the player base, but I think probably a broader section than was just like sitting in the store doing eight man drafts every day. Like it, it's a bigger sample size than you used to have doing this. And they're all facing the final boss of dream trawler over and over and over. And I also like, the mythic versus rare thing, Kiora Best the Sea God has to exist or Dream Trawler has to exist. With Kiora Best the Sea God not being a constructed card anyway, it's like, couldn't that card just have been a little bit weaker and then you swap the two around? I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the specifics of placing the cards in the font, like where they sit in the rarity file goes, but it does seem like there's more flexibility than just like one of these cards has to be rare, one has to be mythic. Yeah, there's there's a lot of knobs. I was going to say that too. I don't think that the argument of we should nerf this card because it is going to be upsetting to some limited experiences is a very good argument. Like I think the cards should exist as they need to exist for constructed, you know, that being said, like it it wasn't 
super obvious to us that Kyora Best of Sea God wouldn't be a constructed card. Like all that power was, you know, to some extent carefully chosen. And I also think like as far as just going back to the Dream Trawler and boss example, like how thrilled are players to open a Dream Trawler because they know it's so hyped up and so powerful. Like that's something you always have to consider. Like who's on the opposite side of the table? Sure. Yeah, probably someone who's excited to like 7-0 with that thing, but yeah, and, and to be clear, like I'm not just blindly defending that it was the best choice or whatever, but like I do think there is a lot more at play than just like thinking about the one time that I lost to the card and the experience that I had. Or the hundred times I lost to the card, but either <laughs> way. Yeah. Well, at that, at that point, dude, you're a glutton for punishment. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Stop giving lots of your gems. If, right. if that, for, that'll teach if them. for example, like, you know, obviously this is hyperbolic but let's say like dream trawler is an uncommon or there's a uncommon with that kind of power level that's game warping like that's super problematic in terms of like how the the, the set was designed but you know i think for rares and mythics like people do have to realize that like they are serving a lot of masters and it's just you know sometimes unfortunate side effects are that people lose to powerful rares and limited do you think there is a coincidence that one of the most beloved limited sets in recent memory is Modern Horizons, which kind of messes with the idea of powerful mythics in a lot of ways? I don't think it's necessarily a coincidence, but I also would challenge that maybe just the people saying that are extremely competitive players. And that's kind of the echo chamber that, you know, even sure. I involve myself in. No, that's a fair response. But yeah, like, you know, also major majors worked on modern horizons. So that's why it's beloved. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Just for example, like generic large flyer just has less of a place in modern horizons than it does in like a standard set. So, you know, you're going to get kind of a flatter power level of rares when you're designing for very specific goals, like trying to be modern constructed. Well, that's all I got for questions. Brian, did you think of anything while we were going on? Anything else you want to grow majors on? Nothing that's appropriate for air. We'll make him cry some more off air. But I, I think he did a good job answering the hard questions. I didn't really dodge all that much either. And no, he didn't. Be very easy to do so. So props, Majors. Thanks for coming and sharing that with us and our listeners. Yeah, appreciate yeah, the Majors opportunity. Majors great at game design, probably bad at politics. <laughs> <laughs> but, but this is it, guys. Like, this is your, your last opportunity to ask me bullshit questions. So, like, you know, you, you eh, we'll better get it that. out of the way. I feel like we could squeeze a few more in. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's not. <laughs> Don't worry about that. <laughs> are are you excited, man, to be back like playing magic and everything? Dude, I am. I mean, like, not to be a Debbie Downer, but like obviously I was, you know, more excited a month ago when I thought I was actually gonna like play in like SCG Atlanta or whatever. But, you know, obviously we're we're all in the same boat and we're all doing our best out here. But uh yeah, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to the day I get to play in another, you know, pro event. Do do you have any paper magic cards? I have a ton of paper magic cards. That is one of the okay. benefits of working at Wizards of the Coast. Yeah, well, it's it. I mean, you don't have like play sets of things or whatever, right? You have like a bunch of sealed product, maybe some sealed sets. Yeah, I have, I have a bunch of sealed product. Uh, I have, you know, I probably own like a thousand cards, including that uh, Perforus you gave me and Nissa Vasswoods here. Appreciate it. Hell yeah. But yes, I, I will have to create some sort of collection to play Paper Magic again. Uh, what, what about the the local homies? You know, like, are are they going to go to tournaments with you and stuff? Like, do you have access to cards? Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't really thought about it, honestly. But yeah, I could, I could probably 
do a little networking, a little asking around and, and get something. Yeah. Otherwise, if, if we're ever at an event together, I mean, I, I have Hello Magic cards. So. Dude, are you actually like going to get out and play with me? That sounds sweet. I mean, I would, I would, I would go hang out. I mean, we're, we're talking like a year from now or whatever, probably, but. We would all run to a magic tournament right now. Let's be serious. Every <laughs> yeah. single one of yeah, us obviously. would sprint out the door to go to any magic fest anywhere if it was announced for tomorrow without question. Well, no, I would still be like, well, that's that's not <laughs> that's not the most that, responsible. That's not responsible. You know, I'm not doing that. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? If, I do. If we were able to take all of this away, then yes. we would be running to a magic fest. Okay. Yes, it would be very irresponsible to go under present circumstances. Can I rope y'all into an on-air commitment to? run a, a team tournament the three of us yeah obviously yeah love that idea that'd be dope as hell i'm, I'm pretty happy i got out of gp seattle what was was that a team icoria yeah i think so oh that would have been super fun yeah it would have been fun but it was i don't know now now i don't have to go it's kind of tight but yeah i was excited about that gp i'm super sad it's gone well i'm i'm sad that they're all gone like don't get me wrong you know but the the team tournaments are just weird especially when like everyone is in kind of a different mindset you know it's like one person really wants to qualify and the other two are just kind of like you know dude we don't really care but you know i i swear we'll try our hardest but just like we we don't have the fire or whatever i'm sure all three of us would be mono no fucks so it'll be fine yeah no i know that's that's kind of what i'm saying where it's just like yeah all all three of us whatever i think we're both just gonna be there have fun and it's gonna be red yeah, sounds great. All right, Brian, you got some some Discord questions for us, or maybe one question? I do have a question for us. Of course, every week we head to our Discord and take a question from our lovely patrons. Shout out to our patrons for supporting us in a uh, very difficult time. We appreciate all of Thank you. Thank you. Allowing us to keep <laughs> doing what we do. Take care of yourselves first, but we really do appreciate it. And our question this week comes from Kira Randall, who asks, how did you meet blank? Kira did not know who we were speaking to when (laughs) she asked this question, but it is in fact Michael Majors. So I guess we can start with Jerry and then I will share. And then Majors, you can share how you met us. Is it a two-sided story? How does this work? Yeah. So I'm just going to start unless you want to save the best for last because mine is absolutely the best. Okay, I'll tell mine. I met Majors through Jerry. It wasn't all that interesting. <laughs> I don't like the first time we met, we probably went out for lunch, maybe at like the barbecue place in Renton. Was that the first time we ever met? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. You uh you, okay. you came by my apartment once early on when we met. I can't remember if that was the first time or not. I don't think so though. Yeah, I think it might have been, and I also think that was the same day we went to barbecue, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. That's, that's how interesting our yeah, meetup was. I'm story. sure Jerry is going to blow this out of the water. <laughs> Shout out to Cedar River barbecue <laughs> in downtown Renton. That, that place is bomb. Dude, it's, it's anyway, under new management. So, uh. well, it, it was under new management. Uh, I don't know, like a year ago and things ended up being okay. So I, don't I, know. I ate corn on the cob. I have no opinion of <laughs> anything else. That was all they had to offer me. So the corn on the cob was good. That's what I'll say. Okay. Uh, so this, this story comes in two parts. The first part is I used to have a bunch of different forums for PTQ grinders. And it would normally be like, I would add 20 people who were super active at the time. 
And it was just like these people who wanted to discuss magic and deck tuning and stuff and didn't necessarily live in the same area so that they wouldn't be competing with each other at PTQs. And inevitably, like, you know, some people would leave or everyone would be like, oh, I really dislike this person because they're just like kind of toxic and, you know, don't really want to learn. They just want to say their opinions and have people listen to them or whatever. So then I would have to like make a new forum and blah, blah, blah. But added one Corey McDuffie to a lot of my forums actually. But at one point he was like, hey, can you add my friend Michael Majors? He's a local, he's really good. And he's like, you know, 14 or whatever at the time. So I was like, sure. So no idea who this kid is. Add him to the forum, basically never posts. But I remember this and I believe Majors, you will deny that this ever happened. Is that right? I, I do not remember this story at all. So I'm learning something new. Okay. And unfortunately, Corey's no longer with us, so he can't confirm. But I, I really doubt that he would remember either. But fast forward to, what was this, like PT Portland, I think? Yeah, and this is the part I remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and... I go down to this pro tour, uh, still I'm either working at wizards or had just left. I think I'm still working and I end up like going out to a bar or something to like get food with people. And I run into Michael majors and I congratulate him on making platinum and turns out he missed by like a point or two. So that was my first interaction meeting Michael majors. And he was just like, well, actually I missed. And I was like, Oh my God, I am so sorry. And and to add some more context to the story, you can relate to this feeling. Yeah, yeah, no, oh, absolutely. I missed, uh, I mean, that's basically like why I went to Wizards. I, I missed Platinum by a couple points. And then uh, Dave Humphreys was like, well, he's probably off competitive magic and reached out and was like, do you want to take a test? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so a, a little, a little shrewd, I guess, but, uh, you know, very, very smart move. Hey, look, you know, the, the, the best training grounds for making competitive magic cards is, is being in the ecosystem yourself. Yeah. Uh, also that weekend I met Ali Brosh and basically like either during our conversation majors or maybe shortly thereafter it, I don't know if you'd gone inside at, at that point, but like Helen came up to me and I was, <laughs> I was wearing like a striped shirt and plaid shorts or whatever. And she just like looked me up and down and was just like, who dresses you? That's amazing. I had no idea about that part of the story. Yeah. So then just from then on, I was just like, well, I know I'm going to see Helen. So I have to make sure that my clothes match. I'm going to question my my fashion choices. Yeah. I don't want Helen to be mean to me. Good times. Yeah. Good weekend overall. I think. No, not really. Not for me, but well, yeah. (laughs) I, I'm going to be honest, when you mentioned PT Portland and Majors, I thought another story was coming up, but that story probably waits for like Arena Deckless After Dark sometime. We'll do a, we'll do an After Dark storytelling session at one of our next appearances. I don't even know uh, what this because is. I know another really interesting story from PT Portland. Okay, you're going to have to tell me after we get off the podcast. We'll talk about it off air. Uh, it'll be a teaser for people who want to attend that 80 After Dark <laughs> session. That's that's got to be a high Patreon tier right there. Oh yeah, 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 yeah the, the high. highest of Patreon. I don't tiers. know what the story is going to be, but I just imagine if if you're not willing to tell it on air, it's got to be bad. Anyway, uh, that'll do it for this week. Uh, Majors will be popping in on the cast every once in a while. Again, he'll be streaming 
twitch.tv slash arena decklist. Uh, What's your Twitter handle? At Michael J. Majors, I believe. Okay. Uh, I, that's what I would have just thrown out there, but I didn't know if it had changed or whatever. So yeah, like go follow him. Even if, you know, he doesn't tweet all that often. It just means that, you know, your feed won't be cluttered with a bunch of nonsense, but I guarantee whenever he tweets, it's going to be gold. Yeah. I'll probably start doing that a little bit more. Obviously I didn't have much incentive before. Uh, welcome to the Thunderdome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I, I can really feel the heartfelt welcome from here. <laughs> well, that is game. Good luck.